Hey, you're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Elder Hoffman Ryan preaches in week two of our sermon series, The Name Above All Names. I'm honored this morning um, to introduce a friend and one of our newest elders, Hoffman Ryan. Um, Hoffman and his wife, Courtney, along with their three sweet daughters, have been serving in ministry for 20 years. And for a decade, Hoffman, her, Hoffman served in Asia and some very challenging places. And then for the last decade, he has served the local and global church in wonderful strategic ways. So the first time I met Hoffman, um, I've been told, oh, you've got to meet this guy. You're going to have so much in common. And the first time I met him, I was extremely intimidated by him. And we sat down, and he had a long list of... It's the first time that it scarred me, and, it's, uh, and he had this long list of questions, and I knew in that conversation he was a man of character and of depth and of thoughtfulness, and I knew that we would be friends, and as I've gotten to know him and his family, I'm so grateful for your friendship, for your family, but in a team meeting recently, uh, I just uh, confessed some weariness and some fatigue. Ten weeks in, I just, my soul... And Hoffman, like a friend and brother, he said, I'm in. And so this morning, Hoffman is going to help us wrap our minds around Elohim, the strong creator God. And I'm so grateful for your ministry and for your wisdom and for your heart for the Lord. And so uh, as we get started this morning, um, I'm going to pray for Hoffman, and then we'll begin our sermon time together. Father, thank you for my friend and my brother. Thank you for your word, which is living and active. Thank you for this church, and thank you, God, that we belong to you. Lord, I pray for Hoffman as he proclaims who you are, your loving kindness. God, you would give him clarity and confidence to talk about who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Is this on? We on? Yes, I am on. I'm showing that. How we doing? We're great. We're great. Okay, thanks, Dave. Flip it again. Check one. You on there? That's what happens when you live stream. Hi out there. Technical difficulties. Are we good? Should we just go with it? Okay. All right. Well, it's an honor to be here with you today. And um, there we go. There, there's some sound and some volume. Uh, and many of you are good friends, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a joy to be able to share um, what God has placed on my mind and heart as we have uh, kicked off this series that Matt um, started last week on the names of God. And so I'm going to talk today about the first name that we encounter in the very first line of Scripture, which is the name you mentioned is Elohim. It says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And we translate that uh, word, Hebrew word Elohim as God. And we're going to talk um, today about who is this God? Who is this Elohim? And what is he like? And can he be trusted? And you might say, well, we're all believers here. Of course we know this God and we know what he's like. And of course we know we can trust him. But there is more in this name than meets the eye. And to help us uh, connect with 
how this name, what the, the meaning of this name, the power of this name, I want us to imagine ourselves as if we were the first audience to hear this story. If we were the very first people to hear in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. As I've thought about who was that first audience that heard this message for the very first time, I think a good case can be made that it was the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, to whom Moses spoke, and he, he said, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard their groans, and I know. And I'm sending you to, to them to set them free. So picture, picture this with me. Moses coming back from the backside of Midian, coming back to Egypt, and gathering the elders of Israel together because he has something to say. And imagine that we're there and we're listening to this Moses figure. And imagine that we, as a people, for generation after generation after generation, year after year after year, have been suffering oppression under the, the hand of an evil ruler. Imagine that's us. Okay? You're with me so far? All right, so... Uh, Moses comes to them and he says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now what would have first entered their mind, I believe, is the question, which Elohim? And what is he like? And can he really deliver us as you say? Now why these questions? Well, it's because Israel in that time and place they, were not, they did not live in isolation from the cultures and peoples around them. In fact, they, they lived in what can be described as this great cultural current in the ancient Near East. And there were narratives about Elohim and what he did and what he's like that were common throughout that uh, period and that place. And um, in that time, Elohim was not so much a name but a title. Like king is a title. King James, James is a name and king is a title. To them, Elohim would have sounded like a title, not a name. So they would have been curious as to, well, which one are you talking about and what's he like? That would have been on their minds. And many of the narratives in that time and place um, were used by the strong to, and powerful to oppress the weak and vulnerable. Because in that day, uh, the the stories that were trafficked in the, in the ancient Near East were stories of a high and mighty, powerful God who was not so kind to people. And kings and rulers were representatives of that being, that deity, and they used those narratives to oppress those over whom they ruled. So just for Moses to say, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, wasn't good news yet to them. Now, maybe some of, some of you have questions like that. Who, maybe you're coming in here today. Is, who is God, really? And what is he like? Can he be trusted? Can he really deliver? I would bet that Moses, when he started off, got some objections from the, from the audience. He said, wait a minute. Who is this Elohim of which you are speaking? So Moses would have said something like, well, let me finish the story. Let me tell you what he's like and what he's done. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, really nothing new would have, been, would have come to their minds at this point because most stories in the ancient Near East had a God who did battle with chaos. And so the, the creation of all things came out of this violent conflict of some deity conquering chaos and bringing order out of it so that people could live. So, so far, nothing new. So far, this is not yet good news to them. But as Moses continues to unfold the story of creation, a very different picture emerges about this Elohim, what he is like. You see, as he, as he tells the story, we find that Elohim is engaged in no battle. There's no rival deity that, that he has to conquer or overcome. The chaos waters that are mentioned in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 2, are not do not threaten him in any way. In fact, he's got over that too. And out of the, the, the chaotic waters and the formlessness and the void, Elohim brings order and life. He's in complete control. And as the creation story continues to unfold, we see him bringing order and purpose to all that exists. We see him bringing beauty and goodness to all that he brings forth. He simply speaks, and there is. He says, let there be, and there was. There's no conflict here. He is God of ultimate power. And they would have started to feel like, okay, maybe there's something different about this Elohim that you're telling us, Moses. And then he goes on. He separates light from darkness, the waters above the expanse, the waters below the expanse, he, he gathers the, the waters uh, below into one place so that dry land can appear. And then he names them, which is what people with authority do. They name things. He names the, the, the light day, the darkness he names night. He names uh, the heavens, the skies. He names the land, earth, and the water, sea. And I said, wow, he's, he's not only powerful, but he has authority like a, like a king. Then he, he creates these spaces and he fills them with abundance. He fills the, the land with, with plants and trees. He fills the, the, the sky with sun and moon and stars. He fills the heavens with, with sky flyers and the waters with uh, fish. And then he fills the land with, with animals. They would keep, begin to get a picture that this God is... Not only is he in control, not only is he powerful, not only does he uh, have authority, he has this abundant generosity about him. He fills it with fullness, beauty, and the whole earth is teeming with life. And then he sees it all, and at every step there's this refrain that repeats in the creation account. God saw all that he had made and said, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And as the, the elders of Israel were hearing this, they would have thought, wow, he, he really is different. It's almost as if he created all things because he wanted to. It's almost as if he took delight and pleasure in what he made. 
And Moses says, yes, yes, that is true. See, I'm telling you, this Elohim is not like the others. He's different. In the ancient Near East, another co very common feature when it, uh, when it came to the existence of mankind was the belief that God or the gods created human beings not because they wanted to, but because they needed them. They needed their service. And so back in that day, they, the common way of thinking of human beings is we were made to be slaves to the gods. And if we do our job right... He'll provide us what we need. And if we mess up, look out. That was the common view of humanity. Slaves. As long as we did our part of the deal, we, we could trust that he might do his part of the deal. So there was a constant fear of man and the gods and what they would do. There was even a very common idea that, that um, he was so annoyed. Gods were generally annoyed. They tolerated human beings. And they wanted to limit their population growth because the more people, the more problems they had to deal with, the more noise they created. And so when famines and floods and natural disasters would come, they interpreted that as God's just trying to do population control here. He really doesn't want very many of us and just enough to get the job done. But as, as Moses would have told them about the this Elohim, they'd say, wow, this, one, this one's different. Because Moses would have gone on and said, you know what? Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion. That news would have been so radically good to them. that You're saying there's a God like this that exists? Yes. And you're saying that this God has come to hear our cries, to feel our pain? And to deliver us, Moses is saying, yes, that's what I'm telling you. That is what I'm telling you. He's not like any others. It would have been to slowly sink in in their minds that, wow, this Elohim is unmatched. He has no rival. He has no need. He has no equal. And he has no contempt for us. It's almost, Moses, it's almost as if this God is kind. Moses, yes. Yes, he is. That's what I'm telling you. When Moses would have told them that this Elohim said, let us make man, mankind, in our image, in our likeness, that would have almost made them fall out of their chair. Because in that day, and in that age, only the kings, only the rulers, only the powerful were thought to be made in the image of the deity. Everybody else was nothing. Everybody else had no worth. Their lives didn't count. Only the king, only the rulers, only the authorities. 
everyone else. Just like analogous to how they thought of the gods made man, people to serve them as slaves and the kings and rulers were the divine representative of that God. How did they treat people? In the same way. So you had systems of oppression and violence and brutality based on this false narrative of God's. And when Moses brings this story, it's a rival story, a counter narrative to say, no, that is not true. Let me tell you the true story of how and why we exist. It not only would have been good news to them that this kind of God exists and this kind of God cares for you, it would have been subversive. It would have been um, even scandalous. They would have said, Moses, you mean all of us are made in the image of God? Yes. You mean all of us have dignity and worth? Yes. That's what I'm saying. And you mean all of us, God has lifted up from the dust and crowned us with glory and honor and invited us to share in his rule? Yes. That's what I'm saying. You mean we're not to rule over others and subdue other people, but together as one people rule over the earth? Yes, that's what I'm saying. You mean, Moses, that he blesses us not according to what good he can squeeze out of us, but just because he loves to bless? Yes, that is who Elohim is. And you mean that he actually wants us to multiply and fill the earth? Yes. Yes, this is God. This is our God. He's that generous? Yes. He's that kind? Yes. Moses, are you really saying that we were not meant to be slaves? Yes. Not slaves. Sons. Sons upon whom He wants to shower his loving kindness forever. That's who you are. He's come now to redeem you and to bring you home. Will you follow? This would have landed on them like the most shocking good news. And at the sound of this, they, it says in Exodus, they fell down and they worshiped. There's no God like this God. There's no Elohim like this Elohim. This Elohim is holy. Other. We've never heard anyone like him. And then I can imagine someone said, oh, Moses, what's his name? Right. Oh, yeah. Forgot that. His name is I am. Yahweh. It means this is who I am. I am who I am, and I will always be who I am. I will always be the God who is kind, the God who is good, the God who is generous, the God who is loving, the God who made you to share in my goodness and blessing and rule. This is who I am, and I will always be so. It would have overwhelmed them. I hope it begins to overwhelm us too. This is the God we serve. Sometimes we struggle with our view of God. Sometimes we think of him as angry. 
as distant, cold, uninterested in us, uninterested in the pains that we, we share. But he's not. If you follow the rest of the Old Testament story, you'll, you'll know, we know quite clearly that it's, it's a story of, of the people of God living in tension between the promises of God and the pain of their real life experience. And it was a hard tension to live in. And maybe that's hard for you too. Living in this tension between the promises, the glorious promises of a good God and the pain that you feel or the brokenness that we see. That's why it's a life of faith. But this is the true story. And it counters every other story of who God is and what he might be like. So when we get to the New Testament and we get to the Gospels, and it proclaims that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it would have been even more shocking than Moses' word to the elders gathered in Egypt. If we ever need to, if we ever wonder what God is really like, we need to look no further than the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus, we see the heart of God. We, if you look at um, how Jesus used his power and authority, it's consistent to how God all throughout the story has used his power and authority. Our God has infinite power and ultimate authority Yet he harnesses and uses all of that for one purpose, to love his people. There's no one like that. And if we ever doubt it, all we need to do is read the Gospels. What do we see when we see Jesus Christ? How do we see him using his power and authority? Paul writes in Philippians 2, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see Jesus using his infinite power, his ultimate authority, to love and set free people who's calling, who he was calling to himself. Throughout the story, we see Jesus doing things like bringing hearing to the deaf and sight to the blind. Because of the way Jesus used his power, lame people leapt. People with leprosy were cleansed. People who were social outcasts were brought in to community. Those who were bowed down low in shame, he lifted up and bestowed upon them crowns of honor and glory. He's restoring the broken image of God and people all throughout his ministry. The relationships that were torn, he's mending. He's even forgiving sins. As we see in the, in the Gospels, 
when he, when he does these things, people are saying, who, who is this man? He is doing things that we know that only Elohim can do. Who do you say that you are? And Jesus said in one moment of great tension, he said, before Abraham was, I am. The I am has come down to dwell with us, taking on a body so that he might be, take that body and be crucified upon a cross. So that we who've been just like the Israelites as, as, as they were enslaved to the powers of Pharaoh in Egypt, we too can be set free, redeemed, brought out from under the powers of sin and evil and death and welcomed home into the family of a God who loves us with all of his being. And we can be his people. In Jesus, we see the love, the love of God expressed and given to the fullest extent when he laid down his life for us. And we see his power, unmitigated, unmatched power in it, over sin and evil and death and his resurrection from the dead, just like we sung about a little while ago. In Jesus, we see that the majesty of God's power and authority is like a mountain without a peak. But we also see that his love is like an ocean without shores. There is simply no limit to his power and authority, and his love is simply inexhaustible. That is our God. That is who we serve. That is who calls us home. Now, we struggle to believe this sometimes. We do. Some of you may not have ever uh, turned away from rebellion or put down your resistance to the loving authority of God. And he's calling you home today. Some of you may have known him and walked with him for a long time, yet there's still places in your heart and life where you're resisting his authority, resisting his rule. Sometimes it's because we struggle to believe that he's really good and he's really kind and he's really loving. And so the testimony, the whole testimony of scriptures is that if we were to ask him, are you really that kind? Are you really that good? His answer is, I am. And when we come under his loving authority, by faith and give our allegiance to him, he begins to change us so that we too become a people who steward our authority, steward our power, steward our influence, steward our money, steward our resources, steward our time, steward all that we have, not for ourselves, but for others. He changes us to be like him, sons like a father. He's renewing in us the true image of God. So I'd encourage us today, as you, if you struggle, if you're struggling or have been struggling with who is this God and is he really is who he say he is, immerse yourselves in the story. Because only in this story revealed in the Holy Scriptures, only this story is powerful enough to push out all the rival stories that we hear. We too are just like Israel we are in a cultural current and we're influenced by things 
in our day and age that shape and twist our understanding of God and what he is like and what he calls us to. And it only is in this story that those stories can be expelled. And we become not only people who know deep down the most fundamental thing we should know about ourselves is that we're created and loved by God. Who am I? I am one who's made and loved by God. That changes us so that we too become people who love. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us in the pages of Scripture. We would not know you apart from it. Thank you that your Spirit gives us understanding. Your Spirit opens up our hearts to receive what you have told us in your Word. God, thank you that in the face of Jesus, we see that yours is a smiling face. And you welcome us back as beloved sons and daughters. If we would but put down our rebellion if we would put aside our resistance to you and learn more and more to come under your loving reign, your loving authority, and the joy of living life that way and becoming like you to where we too become people and a people who use all that we have and all that we are and we steward that in the way of love and service to others. God, we praise you that that you are such a God It is an honor to know you. It is an honor to be called by your name. It is an honor to serve you. Oh, Lord, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. If you'd like more information about Grace Auburn or ways you can partner with us in our mission, you can visit our website at graceauburn.church.